0: I greet you this day in the name of the great physician. And welcome those who are gathered here in the sanctuary along with those who are online. I did wanna share a pastoral note this morning. Over the weekend, we got a number of reports that an email had gone out under my name soliciting funds and gift cards. Uh, Please know that that is a scam. I would never solicit money in that way. It always hurts my heart when people use my name or the church's name in those endeavors, but if you have family or friends, please share that with them as well. Today we are culminating our Lent worship series, Healing Touch. We're claiming God's promises of wholeness and renewal in our lives. We've seen that the Bible recognizes we are psychosomatic creatures. And what affects one part of life affects the totality. And we've explored physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. And today we've come to talk about being a wounded healer. Our scripture lesson comes from John 20, beginning with verse 19. As you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the gospel. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Suppose a cosmetic company developed a revolutionary new wrinkle cream that was absolutely guaranteed to remove every wrinkle and blemish from your face. Praise Jesus. <laughs> How well do you think such a product would sell? We have a multi-billion dollar industry that is dedicated to gaining and maintaining the appearance of youth. There are moisturizers, serums, makeup, sunblocks. Acid washes, skin peels, exfoliants, light therapy, Botox, hair color, facelifts, and cosmetic surgery. In stark contrast, a famous photographer tells about a photo session with a Hollywood actress. And when she sat down, he warned her, my camera lens is sharp, the studio light quite bright, and my photographs will capture every blemish and flaw on your face. And the mature woman smiled and said, good, let every wrinkle show, I have earned them all. Our scars, wrinkles, blemishes are a part of our personal identity and story. That dark line in the x-ray is when we broke a bone as a child. Laugh lines come from a lifetime of smiles. Freckles, time spent by the pool or on the beach. And gray hair, that occurs when the kids become teenagers. If there was a miracle cream, I, I would have to think twice about using it it would erase a part of who I am. Have you ever wondered what the Lord God Almighty looks like? Is God's face wrinkled from millennia of time? Are there freckles on God's face from wandering among the stars? Or scars on the maker's knees from bending into the dirt of creation and forming man and woman? Today's scripture lesson suggests those questions may be more than fanciful flights of imagination. Maybe God really does bear the marks of experience as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. This morning's scripture lesson from John chapter 20 occurred the night of Easter. I'm well aware I am breaking the liturgical rules. We're still in Lent, Easter is not for another two weeks, it's preacher's prerogative, sue me. Better yet, consider it as a preview of coming attractions. It had been a strange, mysterious day. The disciples were now in the upper room with the doors locked in fear of persecution. And earlier that day, some women of their company had come back with these fantastic reports of an empty tomb and angelic messengers. Some had even claimed to see the risen Lord. But the disciples were quick to doubt, slow to believe, and then Jesus stood in their midst and greeted them with that salutation they had heard over and again in public ministry, shalom. Peace be with you. And then came that wonderful, horrible, terrific moment when he held out his hands and they saw where the nails had pierced him. He showed him his side and they saw where the spear had been stuck into him. And I want you to dwell on this image for a moment. The Lord of the Resurrection still more bore the marks of the crucifixion. The Gospels agree that in Jesus' initial post resurrection appearances, his apostles had a hard time recognizing him. Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener until he called her by name. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus did not know who he was until he broke bread at the table. The disciples in the upper room weren't assured until they saw his wounds. In part, I believe that was because Jewish theologians of that day expected the coming Messiah or the Christ to be a conquering king, a military Messiah. And throughout his public ministry, you see the disciples express this thought. When is heaven's kingdom coming in its completion? Which one of us is the greatest? Who will sit on your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom, Lord? And that belief continues in our theology today. Every week we recite the Apostles' Creed. And following Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we talk about how Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. And that image, those words, that theology are certainly appropriate and true, but there's a subtle temptation that we begin to think of God as being up there somewhere rather than down here with us and Jesus' scars remind us otherwise. In American Sign Language, uh, the gesture used to signify Jesus takes the middle finger of the dominant hand and points to the palm of the other and then mirrors the gesture. The name of Jesus is signified by his wounds. Hebrews chapter four reminds us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who in every way has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need. The last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples in Matthew 28 before he ascended into heaven were these, I am with you always, always, good, bad, day, night, victory, failure, health, illness, faith, doubt, always. Andre Nouwen was one of the great devotional writers of the previous century, and he published a classic book in which he gave Jesus the title, The Wounded Healer. Nouwen pulled from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah's words. Isaiah saw the coming Christ as a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, he wrote, He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus Christ is our wounded healer, and the cross traces the height and width and depth of God's mercy and grace for each of us. The gospel accounts tell the story of how at the conclusion of the crucifixion, a Roman soldier plunged a spear into Jesus' side to confirm his death. And there were a number of different legends and myths that grew up around what was then called the sacred spear. The legend was that a descendant of Cain named Tubal Cain crafted the weapon. It was presented to Julius Caesar who gifted it to a centurion who saved his life, whose father then passed it on to the son and it was present at the crucifixion. Richard Wagner wrote an opera about the story in 1882 titled Parsifal. It's a story of good and evil, of the forces of holiness and darkness battling one another. And in the opera, the spear has mystical healing powers. And when one of the heroes, heroes is wounded unto death, it is pressed against him and brings wholeness. I have no idea if there's any truth to the legend, maybe a kernel of fact in the midst of all that myth. But isn't that a powerful graphic? That the hideous weapon used to confirm Jesus' death was sanctified by the Savior's blood and used as an instrument of wholeness. By his wounds, we are healed. And over the past weeks, we have explored God's healing touch in every aspect of life, of physical healing, that God has created our bodies to heal themselves, that God works through human agency of doctors and nurses and surgeons, therapists and chiropractors and others to promote wholeness in our lives. We believe God can heal us miraculously, but in one of those tensions with faith and God's will, God heals, but not always in ways we hope or expect or want. Second week we talked about mental wholeness and heard Paul's words no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To focus on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things we are to think about to obtain the mind and the spirit of Christ. The next week we talked about emotional healing. That what our culture might call mental health today and that God wants to quiet our spirits as well as our minds. And it's a struggle in our society. I love the work of Karen Hornay, who is a, a psychotherapist and she talks about the difference between psychoses and neuroses. Someone who is psychotic says two plus two is five. They're out of touch with reality. Someone who is neurotic, look at your neighbor, look in the mirror when you get home because we're all neurotic, says two plus two is four, but I don't like it. We all struggle with mental health and need resources beyond our own to be holistic people in God, and we have celebrated the establishment of Cumberland Counseling here at Northside Church and the resources it brings. And then last week, the Reverend Jeff Rogers talked about spiritual healing, grace upon grace upon grace that brings forgiveness and eternal life into our lives. And it all celebrates how Jesus Christ is our wounded healer. By his wounds, we are healed and made whole. And then, God invites us to join in that ministry. We, too, are wounded healers. We typically think about God using our strengths and gifts in service to God's kingdom. And that's certainly true. You've heard me preach and teach about that. But God also uses our weakness and our emptiness. There's a Japanese art form for repairing pottery that is called kintsugi. If you happen to look at your bulletin cover today, it has a picture and a cup that is an example of kintsugi. It literally means golden joinery. And artisans take lacquer, they mix it with gold, silver, or platinum dust, and they glue the pieces back together. The art form honors the object's broken past. It does not attempt to disguise the seams it emphasizes them. And when you put a candle within it, God's light shows through where the brokenness was. We're all broken. We all seek God's healing, and God uses that in ministry to others. If you think about it for a moment, it is the basis for every support and recovery ministry that exists. People who have been there, done that, and have the scars to prove it, help others who are struggling along the way. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Compassionate Friends, Overeaters Anonymous, the list goes on. It's not that we can say to somebody who's suffering in similar ways that we have, that we know exactly how you feel because we don't. What we can say is I've gone through something similar And out of my brokenness, I can share with you what God has done for me. And I can stand beside you and be an incarnate reminder of God's presence in your life. Capture that image and take it with you this coming week. That the Lord of the resurrection bore the marks of the crucifixion a Messiah that is a suffering servant whose wounds heal us and then invites us with the wounds and scars we bear to be wounded healers as well. Let us pray. Almighty God, we gravitate towards those images of power, might, royalty, authority, and those are good and right understandings of who you are in our lives, the church, and the cosmos. But this day we also claim you as a suffering servant, the one who came among us and was born, and lived, and suffered, and died. And we can come before your throne with boldness, because we have a high priest who has gone through this broken world and understands the trials, tribulations, and temptations that we too face. Yes, Lord, take our strength and our giftedness and use them for your service, but we also offer up our weakness and brokenness as well. In the name of the Christ, the suffering servant, we make our prayer Amen.